Welcome to this episode of the Medical Affairs Professional Society podcast series, Elevate. I'm your host, Garth Sundin, Communications Director at MAPS. And today we're going to learn how to find the needle of relevant research in the haystack of PubMed, Google Scholar, and all of the other data sources that are out there. Joining us is Tiago Barosh, Managing Director of Faculty Opinions, which combines expert opinion with citation data to provide early indication of the most impactful research in biology and medicine. Faculty Opinions was recently acquired by MAPS Partner Circle member H1, which is the sponsor of this episode. So Tiago, welcome and thank you for joining us. Hi guys, thank you very much for having me. I will admit that I've spent a decade on PubMed and Google Scholar and I still struggle to find what I need. So what is the answer of faculty opinions for helping us find the research we need? Yeah, that, that's a great question, Gus. Um, so I think services like PubMed and Google Scholar, they're yeah, great sure. in, in terms of um, giving us access to information. It's easy to find articles and other types of literature um, through those services. But what they are really not helping us with is with the curation and filtering of the information, right? So quite often, you know, you have different people with different levels of expertise uh, that they may be finding, trying to find information in a certain topic, but sometimes, you know, it's just too overwhelming. Uh, You you, you led with PubMed and, uh, you know, just to put things in perspective, PubMed is adding about a million new publications a year uh, to to their index. And so it's really uh, you know, quite an overwhelming mountain of literature that it's at our disposal, but at the same time, then if there's no services to help us curate and filter that literature, it just becomes a really big challenge for researchers and uh, also you know, anyone else uh, that is interested in those topics. Well, it's interesting, you know, I, I kind of equate this to, I go on Amazon and I can't find a single book that I want to read. But I walk into my local bookstore and their recommendations on the shelves from their employees, I want to read every one of them. Is that what you're talking about? Like we need gatekeepers? Yeah, no, that's right. I think mean, that's an that's a, that's a interesting analogy. So yeah, nobody is interested in those one million papers. And I think being able to trust the opinion of, of experts that will point you in the right direction and mm-hmm. to the articles that you should really not miss, I think it's really important. And also, I will stress here the the emphasis on 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 the experts, right? Because there are other services in which some other people may promote content, may tell you to that you should read this content. But can you really trust those opinions? Are they really an experts on the field, oh, yeah. and do they actually know whether this is good or not? And, that, and that's why I think uh, you know services in which you combine the knowledge, the expertise. Mm-hmm. of opinion leaders uh, with accessibility to a lot of information. I think this is when things really start helping researchers. Well, right, because if it's a gatekeeper, you, you have to trust your gatekeeper. I wouldn't take recommendations from, oh, I don't know, book recommendations from my my 14-year-old daughter. Well, actually, I probably would, but that's a bad example. But so how do you get the right gatekeepers? Yeah, that's so the, the way, for example, that faculty opinions does this is in a way is is similar to what happens in academia in which mm-hmm. you know you have well established uh, experts in the field that then invite other uh, uh, collaborators or uh, 
or the experts in the field to improve with the coverage of, of the literature. So it's it's about first ensuring that these are not anonymous people on the internet. These are named experts that you can recognize and you know where they're from, what they work on, and so on. And also then it's also not self-selected in the sense that you know you don't really say I am an expert in this field and I know what everyone should know about. It's not that. It's about having um, the peers nominate who are the best candidates to provide that reviews. Those reviews are. And so if they accept the invitation, then they join uh, the faculty. And so that way we preserve the integrity and the expertise of, of the group. That's interesting because when I find PubMed results, the way I filter that for you know, truth and, and legitimacy and impact is you know is it in one of the top 10 journals is it in mm-hmm. is it in any any jm but i i feel like by doing that i'm missing a lot of important information from some of the smaller journals is is this a way to you know by by having gatekeepers who actually can evaluate based on the content is this a way to create diversity of of research that we're reading absolutely. yeah yeah absolutely so um I think, you know, there's no doubt that prestigious journals, the leading journals that you think about, say, JAMA, Nature Cell, New England, uh, you know, they publish a lot of great research, but it's not all of it, right? Mm -hmm. We cannot rely on those few journals relying, publishing everything that you need to know about. And so this is when the gatekeepers, but I, I mean, I you know, or perhaps the curators and the experts really yeah. come and uh, become useful, right? Because first, um, they have they know that a lot of great research is published elsewhere. There's a lot of journals that, because they don't have the same visibility of those few that we talked about, you know, they may be neglected. So people not, may not be aware about you know what's being published there. And so, if we provide those experts with the tools to find those hidden gems. I think this is really when when services become really useful. Um, so in a way, it's a combination of these things. It's, it's like to rely on the expertise of, of, of opinion leaders, but at the same time, provide them with the tools so that they can effectively uh, scan the literature um, and find the best uh, articles, regardless of what is published, where they are published. And I think that's really is the, the main issue here is that traditionally or historically, uh, there's been this tendency to um, proxy the quality of the individual articles by the title or the journal where they yeah. published. Yeah. And that's not really you know, where we want to be. I think articles should be evaluated by their own merits, by the quality of the study that they're reporting on. And, and yes, and so often you know, the journal will give you an indication of that, but it wouldn't be a lot better if you had an expert saying, you know, don't worry where it's published. You know, the, the expert is saying that this is a good, it's a good uh, post. And, and and lately, I think another very interesting thing that's happening is um, there's been a lot uh, rapid growth of preprints. Yeah, so, yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, let's go to preprints. I'd love to check yeah. out. The so preprints are interesting because it's not even in, in, it's exactly like the, the most uh, you know simplest form of publication in a way that it's the authors that putting their study out there and it's accessible to the community without editorial triage and without peer review. And in a way that's great to accelerate uh, the communication of work, but then 
then there's really no triage, right? Yeah. And so having, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So having services that will uh, look at those preprints and and find, you know, the nuggets of high quality uh, research that they report on, I think it's become really important. Just, you know, just to give you a, an idea, for example, with faculty opinions, we're talking about 4,000 different journals being recommended. And it's so- 4,000 now? Jeez, yeah, amazing. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, so we kept, you know, it, it become quite a large number exercise, right? We have a million new articles indexed every year. And then you have, you know, thousands and thousands of journals where they can be published. And that yeah. becomes quite a really challenging uh, uh, task. Well, it's got to be tricky for the journals because, you know, they traditionally have been the curators, right? <laughs> it, or their editorial board or however they bring that in. But... Now we have all of these, I don't know, other uh, the, these other content types that require the same sort of curation, but doesn't fall underneath their umbrella. You know, we've got preprints, and so we need to evolve in order to continue to help people find these new things in new ways. What do you see as some of the other trends in in how medical affairs professionals? can find the research they need. Yeah. Um, preprints is definitely something that I think will continue to grow. And I think their relevance and their importance to the community and in medical affairs, I think will become more and more important. I have no doubts about that. Uh, I think you also hinted at another of the transformations and I think we are already starting to observe, which is diversifying the formats in which research is communicated. So traditionally we've been pretty stuck with articles and you know and even to a large extent to pdfs of articles that you know replicate the same format that has been used for hundreds of years yeah. um, and i think lately we start seeing that becoming much more diverse so we're talking about sharing data sets directly without you know being confined to the format of an article for example and another another format that i find particularly interesting is for example webinars um, again up until now Webinars were useful to communicate, uh, you know, over the internet, especially now during the pandemic. I think it's been pretty useful, but it's almost like the people that attended the webinar benefited from that, but then nobody else does, right? Because it's it's oh. it's it's quite a restricted audience. And then also, up until now, there wasn't really um, the ability of reusing that webinar and citing that webinar, for example. And I think we're seeing that changing, and so. I really, I think it's really exciting to see these different formats that for as long as we create the, the platforms and the technology to make those formats reusable and citable so that we can attribute and acknowledge the, the people behind them, I think will become much more um, a richer and more diverse way of communicating science, which I think is really positive. Well, that's interesting. I don't want to take us into the weeds, but I know nothing about webinars to communicate scientific research. I mean, is it like a presentation you would see at ASCO or ACR, but people are doing these independently and, and then the webinar exists and that's how they're presenting their research, not necessarily as a, as a paper? Yeah, in some ways, yes, it's, it's a way like the presentation itself of webinar is no different from what it was before. But if you yes. think about it, that content can be searched, you know, it can be transcribed, can be, you know, you oh, can assign a DOI to it. And so um, there's a lot of things that we kind of only think about them in the in the context of the article. But if you think about a webinar as, you know, having the same type of content and beyond that, 
then there's a reason why it cannot be used in the same way. Oh, cool. Well, everyone listening probably already knows that, but I didn't know you could stick a DOI on a webinar. So that's, <laughs> that's neat for me. So then why does this matter? What is, I mean, medical affairs at the end of medical affairs is, is the patient. And our goal at the end of the day is to provide patient benefit. So what is the eventual patient benefit of being able to point to this relevant research? Yeah. Um, I, I think in many ways in which is relevant to the, the first one I'll say is that, you know, it's going back to the problem of the overwhelming mountain of information that is out there and that will distract people from the real breakthroughs that they should be paying attention to, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so I think in general, it's about because you have access to the opinion of experts that are pointing you in the right direction, that will have lots of positive effects. So it will, because you now can rely on knowing that you, you are aware of the articles that you should know about, that will, for example, um, ensure that you know that an experiment that is very relevant to your, to your work has already been done, right? So you don't have to do it again. And you can already learn from the results of someone else that already does that, right? Oh, cool. Um, so on the evidence generation side for medical affairs. Yeah, exactly. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. just, just really knowing what is, what is current is gonna make it so you don't have to repeat it within your organization. Yeah. Cool. Exactly. And so, so I would say that that kind of falls more into the helping medical affairs understand the science behind the, the, the new drug or the new treatment yep. that is, that is being, um, they're working on. But even also, you know, just knowing what the QPNLINs are thinking about, right? So it's, it's not just about understanding the causes of the disease or the treatment and how it works, but actually understanding what individuals think about it, right? And I think that is, you know, if you think about medical affairs, wanting to work closely with the key, key opinion leader uh, in some project. Um, and so knowing exactly what their opinion is on related studies, I think becomes incredibly uh, valuable. And then, and then I would say that even from the, on the patient side, it becomes quite important because, uh, you know, sometimes having this uh, distilled bits of, of, of information about the research can help the patient as well. I can stand, you know, the mechanism behind the disease and what, how their treatment is going to work and how it's going to benefit their, their life directly. All right, well, let's leave it at that. Thanks, Tiago, for joining us today. One, one thing that is neat is I went and checked out your very brand new website, and you can try out Faculty Opinions for free yourself at facultyopinions.com. So MAPS members, don't forget to subscribe. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Medical Affairs Professional Society podcast series, Elevate.